What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Need It, a sports podcast. I am your host, Zane. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Wyda. In this episode, Josh and I recap the first round of the NBA playoffs, and we preview the second round and give our picks for the rest of the way. We're down to eight teams, and not one of them has won a championship in at least 38 years. After that, we move over to the NFL. We break down the trade between the Atlanta Falcons and the Tennessee Titans, who won that trade, and what these teams look like going forward in the near and long-term future. After that, we touch on a sport we haven't talked much about on this podcast, and that's boxing. We go into the Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather fight, and I focus on Charizard more than I do the fight. Then we wrap up the episode with some golf drama between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. Is this beef good for golf or not? As always, thank you for listening, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, at Needit Sports, and then also join our Facebook group, Needit Sports Sports Discussions. Thanks again for listening. What's going on, everyone? What's up, Josh? Welcome back for another episode. Josh, we got to recap round one of the NBA playoffs. We're down to just eight teams, and one of them's not the Los Angeles Lakers. Run me through that series. How did the Lakers get bounced by the Suns in six games? Injuries, injuries, injuries. I mean, it's 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 just one of those things. Inevitable happen. You know, Anthony Davis was banged up all series long, him not being able to play. Uh, you know, really, uh, majority of game five, then, you know, um, I'm sorry, him actually being out for game five and then him trying to come in and play game six and, you know, um, just kind of re-aggravating, um, you know, that injury and then him not being able to finish it out. It's tough. You know, that, that roster, um, they're, they're nowhere near as deep as they were last year, in my opinion. And whenever you got a guy like Anthony Davis to what he can bring on the floor on the offensive side of the end, defensive side of the end, playmaking, and just really just having him as a leader on that court on and off on that bench. Obviously, he's on the bench still, but um, it's tough, you know. And then LeBron not being 100% healthy either, you know, him still dealing with that ankle injury. Um, you could tell that he wasn't 100%, um, you know, just – him not really being able to get to the basket like he has been able to in the past couple of years. And some people may be able to say that's age or whatever it may be. But LeBron was banged up. AD banged up not being able to play. Um, it's tough. And whenever you got a deep Phoenix Suns team that's playing together, that's playing really, really good defense, that's shooting the lights out. Devin Booker, I mean, played his, his ass off in that series. Chris Paul played very, very well, even considering the injuries that he was dealing with. Guys like um, Payne, guys like Bridges, you know, they, that entire Phoenix team being able to step up and play together as a team, um, you know, and being able to have a guy like Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul was really the X factor in this series. You know, last year the Lakers being able to have guys like John Rondo really help. You know, he's that veteran leadership guy on the backcourt. This year – Dennis Schroeder tried to fill that role, and as you can see, he was not ready to fill that role whatsoever. Uh, I know, I believe he had zero points in one game. He had, I think, like four points in another. So they just did not have enough production um, outside of LeBron James and Anthony Davis to really be able to compete in that series. It's unfortunate. It's LeBron's first ever time losing in the first round, Um, and a lot of people are hating on him about it. Of course, a lot of people are going to say, oh, that tainted his legacy, whatever it may be, but – Keep in mind, I what Jordan lost in the first round what three times? I think he got swept twice, and this is the first time with LeBron's fourteen and one in the first round. So they'll be they'll be back. It, it, it'll be fine. 
you know, I, I remember we talked about who has who's going into this playoffs with the most pressure, and I said L.A. did not have a lot of pressure because they won last year. Now the question is going to be, oh, well, they won in a bubble. Can they win outside of it, this and that? Only time will tell. But I think at this point in time, it's unfortunate that LeBron got bounced by the Suns, but, um, you know, hey, it is what it is, you know. Um, you know, kind of like LeBron was saying in the shop, you know, he, he he's starting to play guys as sons and, and their dads and seniors and juniors. I mean, this is 18th season in the league. So, um, you know, it's bound to happen eventually. Um, it sucks that it happened this year, but it is what it is. So, um, but, you know, a, a lot of a lot of other good first round matchups as well. You know, um, the Atlanta Hawks, New York Knicks first round matchup was really interesting to watch. Dallas Mavs and the Clippers first round matchup was really interesting to watch. Um, I really wanted Dallas to beat the Clippers just because I, I, I didn't want one of the L.A. teams to make it. I looked at like if the Lakers weren't going to make it, I didn't want the Clippers to make it either. But, uh, you know, Kawhi went off in game seven. Um, he took he took over um, in that game. And he, good thing he did, because if he would allow Lunka to to beat them in, in that seven game series in L.A., that would have been huge. And I think that would have been probably the last straw for that L.A. Clippers team to kind of just unravel. Yeah, in the last episode, Josh, we talked about Kawhi being able to take over. We asked, when was it going to happen? We hadn't really seen it since the finals in Toronto. Uh, Last year, you know, they lost in seven. You know, this year they come out and they start down 2-0 to the Dallas Mavericks. And Luka Doncic trying to make his case for one of the best players in the world. He was absolutely phenomenal in this series. Uh, but just not enough production from the rest of the guys. Like, Christoph Porzingis, to me, needs to be traded. Um, he just did not show up. He also is not really built to be in that offense for Dallas. Um, they're trying to spread the floor, and, you know, his shot hasn't really been there. So the Clippers took advantage. The Clippers had uh, a deeper roster. They were able to, you know, show up when it counted. Congrats to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, my preseason prediction is still alive. Um, with the Clippers making the finals, but they're going to have a tough task against a high-powered offense in Utah, and then I'm interested to see how the Denver and Phoenix uh, series plays out as well. So uh, not an easy road, uh, but they do get out of that one in seven. I want to add a note about the Lakers. That Lakers roster, you you hit on it, but they're just – without AD, that team is not built to win big games. They don't have the depth. They're inconsistent with Schroeder. Kuzma has been wildly inconsistent. Um, you just look up and down the roster, Wesley Matthews, KCP. These are guys that have hit shots in their careers and have the ability to get hot at times, but they weren't giving consistent production on a nightly basis. And LeBron going out and dropping 30 and them not even being close in the last two games, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. People can hate on LeBron for losing uh, in the first round, but Phoenix is a talented team, man. They got a lot of weapons. And like you said, Chris Paul was the X factor. Hurt or not, he he dictates the offense, and he's a Hall of Fame point guard for a reason. He sets guys up like Devin Booker. Devin Booker had 30 or more points in four of the six games. I mean, he's a superstar scorer. He knows how to go get his own shot. Um, They're a team that really does not need to be messed with right now. And they look – I like their matchup against Denver as well because they have Aiton down low who – may be able to neutralize Jokic. He's not going to stop Jokic, but maybe be able to neutralize him a little bit more than Nurkic did for the Blazers. Um, But, you know, this Phoenix team is built well, and they gave the Lakers a hell of a run. I mean, beating them in six is is a statement, you know, even with AD going out. Um, Yeah, it was an impressive series, and, you know, I look forward to the next round. Yeah, definitely. So, 
Speaking of the next round, well, uh, let me stop there because I do need to address one thing. I need to address one thing on this Lakers roster that has got to go. Has got to go. Kyle Kuzma has got See ya. to go. He has got to go. They See messed ya. up by picking Kyle Kuzma over Brandon Ingram in the first place. Okay. Oh, yeah. They screwed up there. All right. But Kyle Kuzma has got to go. I mean, just some of the shots that he was taking, some of the missed assignments that he had on the defensive end whenever they're rotating defense off the screen and roll. I mean, he just looked like he doesn't belong in the NBA in that series. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't belong in the NBA. I'm just saying in that series, he did not look like he belonged in the NBA at all, whatsoever. So they have to get rid of Kyle Kuzma. It's going to be interesting to see what the Lakers front office does in this offseason because they drastically need help in the backcourt. Drastically need help in the backcourt. I mean, if they do not get help in the backcourt and actually find – a true point guard that can run that offense. People could say, yeah, LeBron can run the offense. Yeah, but LeBron's going to run the offense whenever AD goes to the bench and this bench comes on, right? And that first, that starting five, LeBron's not going to run that offense, okay? They need a guy like Rajon Rondo who can keep the ball out of LeBron's hands and keep offenses or defenses honest. Because what they did is they literally said, okay, we're going to make everyone else beat us besides LeBron. They packed in the paint, and LeBron did what he always did. He made the best decision. He made the right move. He would drive to the basket. There would be three or four guys surrounding him. He kicks out to an open man. Nobody's hitting a shot, all right? Or they're not even, like, pump fake and try to get to the basket. They're just shooting, missing shots, or they're turning the ball over. That series was very tough to watch. I could count probably on three or four times that I turned the game off right before halftime because they were already losing by 20 30 points um you know so it was a 20 it was a 22 deficit 22 point deficit in the first quarter of game 6 yeah i, I remember one time in game i think it was game 5 in the second quarter it was the second quarter it was like 10 minutes left in the second quarter and the lakers had like 18 points exactly <laughs> they couldn't so score four, in 14 minutes they had 18 points and that was the game that Anthony Davis didn't play, you know. So this Lakers team has proven a show, you know, without LeBron and AD being on the floor together, they are suspect. So they got to go get help. They got to go build depth, um, you know. And you got to – at the end of the day, you got to tip your hats off to the Suns. You really do because this Lakers team is a very good defensive team even without Anthony Davis on the floor. Um, and they didn't play bad defense. Phoenix just moved the ball really well. They hit big shots, and they ran and scored in transition. That was the biggest thing. They were running the Lakers. The Lakers are used to running teams. Phoenix ran the Lakers. They kept the tempo up. They knew that if they could get into that ninth, eighth, tenth man on that rotation for them with Anthony Davis being on the bench, that the Lakers stood no chance. LeBron, he looked tired. I know a lot of the games, five and six, he didn't even play really the you know the second half of the fourth quarter because it was already a blowout. But whenever you got a guy like LeBron who's having to control the offense, no help with Anthony Davis being off the floor, and then he's having to run back and forth on defense and offense and being really that that perennial, you know, brick wall that they have down low. You know, I'm surprised that Montrez didn't get a bigger role in this series. That kind of raised some questions to me, but I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of questions need to be answered in this offseason if the Lakers want to have a chance to come back um, and, and truly compete 
for a championship next year because Phoenix is only going to get better. I don't I don't see Chris Paul going anywhere. I don't. I see him coming back. Um, yeah, I know he he declined his forty four mil option, but I don't know. I mean, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well. But um, watch out for Phoenix, man. Watch out for Phoenix. I could easily see Phoenix coming out of the West. Yeah, I like Cam Johnson. I like Bridges, but if they can add a a guy that's a a, a star three or four position, they're going to be tough to beat, man. They are going to be causing problems for a long time. And again, like you said, I don't see Chris Paul going anywhere either, especially if they can make this run to the conference finals. There's really no reason for him to. Um, but like you said too, a good point about Montrezl Harrell. I talked to a lot of people about that because I was wondering, like, he played such a big role. Uh, him and Lou Will, I think it was, split six man, was that last year or two years ago um, when they were in Los Angeles? And now this year, he's barely even playing when he should be getting quality minutes. But I think, to your point, that's probably showing that there might be something else going on. It definitely raises some questions. Uh, but I thought he was going to be a guy in these playoffs that gave them some energy off the bench, and it just didn't happen. And again, like you said, there were multiple games in this series where, you know, you got nine, eight minutes left in the second quarter, and the Lakers only have 28, 30 points. And you're wondering, you know, wh- where is the momentum? Where is the offense going to come from? And you're like, okay, LeBron, you know, take over. But the problem is LeBron couldn't take over in those situations because he's trying to facilitate an offense. He's bringing the ball down the court, trying to set guys up. You know LeBron's always been pass first until he really needs to be taking big shots. Uh, he's always setting his teammates up. He's a selfless p- player, um, and nobody could hit shots. He was getting them the ball, getting them good looks, and nobody could hit a shot. So that's where the, the hole was created, and they couldn't come back. And LeBron was you know, still finding ways to get transition buckets, finding ways to score, but ultimately – if the rest of your guys aren't putting in points, it's really hard to be a one-man band, especially in today's NBA. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's enough talk about the West. Um, Utah obviously cruised once Donovan Mitchell came back. The Portland and Denver series was the most electric because they went down to the wire uh, in most of their games. Uh, but let's talk about the East. I know you mentioned the Hawks and Knicks earlier. Um, that series, Trey Young just – is he in? Are we watching him enter into a superstar phase right now? Is he showing that he's ready for the big moment? I mean, I think I think Trey Young, in my opinion, he's already a superstar. I mean, just just me knowing what he did at Oklahoma, um, knowing what he did his rookie year, you know, him and Luca coming in together, you know, I I, I know, I mean, I look like this. We consider Luca superstar, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Luca's top five player on the planet easily. Right. So for me, for Trey Young, I got Trey Young like right under Luca, like in young point guards. Like I have Trey Young like right under Luca. Yeah, I think they're closer than people thought they were gonna be. Right, and that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get to is me. I've seen what Trey Young's done. I've seen it in person. (laughs) You know, so I know what he's capable of. This is a guy that. You know, once he hit really like ninth grade, I was already following him, everything. So this kid is definitely a superstar in our league today. I think a lot of people really because Atlanta never really being a big, you know, competitor in playoffs and actually making the playoffs probably what in the last 10 plus years, you know, now they've made, they made the playoffs. They had that little run where they were good with Jeff Teague. Kyle Korver, Josh Smith, Joe Johnson. Yeah, but, but they, they didn't weren't, really make a run. They weren't, 
no, they made one run, but they didn't they didn't make it to the end. No, right. And so I'm saying now that having Trey Young there, and and you know all five of their starters, what on what 22, 23 years old. I mean, this is a very very young team, very young team. So the future is bright for them. Trey Young is definitely a superstar. I think um, his performance in New York. Um, we're, we're just icing on the cake for that. And if you weren't already convinced, you should be now. This kid is legit. This dude can shoot the ball. He can get to the rack. Um, and he, he, he's just a dog, man. He, he's really the closest thing that we've kind of seen to a, to a Steph or a Dane, you know? Um, he's a threat really... as soon as he crosses half court. He's a threat Absolutely. to pull it up. Absolutely. You know, there's a video that we saw, um, you know, last year, um, I believe, I uh, forget exactly who it was, but they were playing Portland, and he's like, hey, I don't care. That's Dane. As soon as he crosses the NBA logo, like, he's going to pull up. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't care who you got. Like, you stop stop ball. He's going to pull up. Same thing with Trey Young. Um, and just really the antics and the showmanship and the entertaining that he did in Madison Square Garden – um, you know, and seeing, you know, how, how, how upset he's had the Knicks fans, you know, they, there's been a bunch of memes lately, uh, talking about how out of all people, Jose Altuve and Trey Young are in New York fans heads right now, you know, and just their, their, their size and their stature, um, is pretty ironic, but both guys are, are, are killing it and they've been killing New York for a while. So, um, definitely happy to see them advance. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is going to be an interesting series with them in the 76ers. It's going to be interesting. Should the, um, should the Sixers be worried yet down 1-0? I thought that game yesterday was insane. I watched it start to finish, and it looked all but over. And then Philly suddenly made a run in the last three to five minutes, and they got it down all the way to – they lost by four. They got it down all the way to two because Atlanta was trying to run the baseline with no timeouts. And on multiple occasions, they couldn't get the ball in. Or when they did, they were getting steals and converting it into easy two. The Sixers were. So um, – I mean, the Sixers show that they're not going to be dead in any game. Uh, but should they be worried if they don't win this next one and even it up in Philly? Oh, yeah. If they go down 0-2, like, whoa, <laughs> watch yeah. out. Because Atlanta's going to at least win one in Atlanta. And Atlanta won – they won against the Knicks in five when I for sure thought that series was going to six or seven. So I also we thought that was that very that telling. that series was going to go to seven. Yeah, yeah so definitely thought that if- was going to go to seven. And then Trey Young – just absolutely erupted and, you know, put New York on notice very quickly. And Julius Randle was absolutely terrible in that series. If, if they – if the 76ers go down 0-2, watch out. Watch out. Because Embiid, you, we all know he's notorious for getting banged up. He's notorious for maybe missing a game or two. You know, uh, I, I believe he was questionable going into game one. Yeah, he was because he's got that meniscus tear in his knee from that he suffered in uh, game four of round one, I believe it was, game right. three or four. So so I think the wear and tear and then the, the energy that's going to have to be exerted by the 76ers to go, you know, and, and have to try to even it up whenever they're in Atlanta, you know, because it's going to be tough. The numbers just show it, it, look, if, if Atlanta wins this one and they win one of two in Atlanta, then they're going to be up 3-1. It's going to be tough for, for Philly and how that roster is made up in my opinion, to come back from a 3-1 deficit. So, um, Well, the big problem with Sixers right now is, like, I mean, it's not Embiid. Embiid had 39 in the first game. He dominated in the paint, got whatever he wanted. Uh, Clint Capella is not an outstanding defender in my mind. He's kind of just an average center. Um, but 
Embiid's going to continue to dominate in the series, but the question is still around Ben Simmons. Like Ben Simmons, I think was seven of seven, and he had a good game, and he attacked in transition. But outside of transition baskets, he doesn't really go and get his own, and that's because he can't shoot. He's not a threat on the perimeter, and when your point guard's not a threat at all on the perimeter, like zero threat, it collapses the offense a little bit and it hurts you. And I think we definitely saw that in game one. I mean, they also, the other thing that was a little strategic that I noticed was they started the game with Danny Green on Trey Young. Danny Green's not checking Trey Young, like not going to happen. And I was wondering the whole time in the first half, you know, when is Ben Simmons going to be put on Trey Young? You know, he's obviously a much bigger guard. Um, even if he can't run around with Trey Young, his size should overwhelm him a little bit. Uh, and they made Doc made that adjustment at halftime, and Ben Simmons was on him for the rest of the way. So I think Ben Simmons is going to be guarding Trey Young the rest of the series. And if it's the same going back down the court, Ben Simmons has got to attack Trey Young and get him in foul trouble and get him off the court. Um, I'm not sure if they'll actually have Trey Young on Ben Simmons because that's a mismatch going downhill. Uh, but that's something they definitely need to continue with Ben Simmons guarding Trey Young. Uh, as these games roll on. Yeah, I would definitely have Ben Simmons on Trey Young. Ben Simmons felt like he should have been the defensive player of the year. All right, go prove it. Here's one of the hottest guys right now in the playoffs in regards to scoring. Go shut him down. Go go prove it. So definitely that. Yeah, then on the other end, now nah, they'll probably put Trey Young like on Seth. Um, that's a pretty even matchup right there. Yeah, yeah that's going to be an interesting series. Um also, we have the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they already played their game one um, of their series on Saturday. Brooklyn coming out 115 to 107. Um, this game was kind of a blowout. And then Brooklyn or uh, Brooklyn just kind of eased off the gas the last of the game. And then Milwaukee came back and made that an eight-point game. Um, but I think Brooklyn being able to pull away and, and win that game, even without James Harden, I think that was pretty big for momentum. Um, and now Milwaukee is definitely like they're they're in trouble right now. If they don't win game two, because with James Harden's not playing, is that correct? He's not playing. James Harden is out tonight. Yep. Yeah, he's that game starting. This is this we're recording this at three twelve central uh, on a Monday. That game tips off tonight at six thirty. Yeah, so James Harden is not playing tonight. So if uh, if Brooklyn wins this game without Harden. Um, and they go up 2-0 going back to Milwaukee. I definitely see Brooklyn at least winning one while they're in Milwaukee. And same kind of thing, being up 3-1. And if James Harden comes back, and hey, if maybe they're able to close out this series without James Harden having to play at all, then really just make sure that he can be healthy for the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, but I think – If they do that, everybody's in trouble. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, obviously it's going to depend on, you know, how Giannis and Milwaukee comes out and plays. Um, but – Brooklyn, I, I just think the experience of KD and Kyrie, I, I think then they're going to be too much for anybody in the East. You know, you and I both are predicted before the season started that the Nets were going to come out of the East. I still believe that. Question is going to be what type of fight um, is Milwaukee going to be able to put up? Because I don't see um, either the 76ers or Atlanta the way that they've been playing, being able to, to keep up with Brooklyn, me personally. I think I, the Bucks were terrible in game one. They're a good three-point shooting team. They were six of 30 in game one, only 20% clip. Uh, they, they just couldn't get the ball to fall. I mean, plain and simple, Chris Middleton was bad. 
PJ Tucker, you know, started because of DiVincenzo being out. Uh, obviously, his defensive presence is helpful, but we know he's just a corner three guy, and when he's not hitting, not much use for him on the offensive end of the floor. Um, I think the advantage for Milwaukee is – I thought Brooke Lopez played really well down low. And I thought, obviously, I, I think Giannis was like 16 of 24. Uh, he had over 30 points. He's going to continue to do that because don't play a lot of defense. They don't play defense until it's really quality possessions and they have to. Um, but I've seen teams all year, and especially in this postseason, slash and get to the basket with ease. Uh, and they obviously don't have the size down low. They're just Their lineup is built to say, we're going to come out and score you come out and outscore you. And when Joe Harris, when Joe Harris is your fourth scoring option, you are in, you are in great condition. I thought Joe Harris was phenomenal being able to pull up from three and get to the basket. Uh, Blake Griffin obviously had one of his best games as a net, probably his best game, uh, his most impactful with 18 points and 14 boards. Again, like you said, I think this series can go to seven personally, but again, it like if Milwaukee win tonight, they are definitely in trouble. I mean, going down 2-0 to a team like this without James Harden, all that spells is bad news for the Bucs. So the Bucs, in order to win tonight, they have got to come out, they've got to hit their threes and simply outscore the Nets. That's the only way. they got to put up triples. If they don't, they're in trouble uh, because Kyrie has been just ridiculous from deep. KD, we already know what he can do. With, you know, even the role players, they have like Mike James and Bruce Brown producing – uh, this team is just built, you know, small lineup guards that can pull up from anywhere, uh, and they've been displaying that. Uh, the Bucks battled back a little bit, but I think the Nets are going to win this get, this series in six or seven. I do think it's going to be more of a fight than the Bucks put up in Game One. Uh, I expect them. I actually expect them to win tonight. Uh, it's a short line. I think the Bucks are plus one and a half. I do expect the Bucks to steal this one and even the series. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's now actually at Milwaukee minus one. Um, oh, so it's shifted a good bit. Yeah, so Milwaukee's minus one in that game. That that game's coming on at 6.30 on TNT. That's Central Standard Time. And then for the 9 o'clock game, we got Denver Nuggets at Phoenix Suns. That game's at 9 o'clock also on TNT. Phoenix Suns minus five. Um, I like the Suns in this game. I, I like the Suns in the series. I think they're going to make it to the Western Conference Finals. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see who they're going to play out of the Clippers or the Jazz. But I like the Suns. I think they're going to be able to continue the momentum that they're built um, in that Lakers series. I think Devin Booker is going to stay hot. Um, I really, really, really hope Chris Paul stays healthy because um, there's nothing more that I want to see than Chris Paul in, in the Western Conference Finals and being able to stay healthy after that uh, that terrible injury that he had back when he was with the Rockets against the Warriors. Um, I know that's probably like knives to your heart right there, but um, no. Yeah, we were, uh, we were up three, two, the only team to ever have the Warriors really on the ropes, except for Cleveland in the finals, of course. So a little depressing still. Yeah, definitely. But I like, I like Phoenix in this series. I I, I still think I said it last round, but I'm going to say it again this round. I still think with Jamal Murray being out, I don't think Denver has enough in that backcourt especially be able to run with a team like Phoenix. Um, man, but what a matchup that would have been. Jamal Murray and Devin Booker going at it this entire series. Mm-hmm. This would have been a very, very, very good matchup, matchup if Jamal Murray was uh, was being able to play. Very good matchup. Uh, but I, I, I still think it's going to be a good series. I, I probably got Phoenix winning in five or six. 
Um, you know, but we know Denver, they're not going to just lay down. I mean, Jokic no. is going to ball. They're going to play tough basketball. Um, they're going to make this series interesting, that's for sure. I mean, Denver won a game 147 to 140 when Dame dropped the 55 and hit the game to go, the, the, the shot to tie it into OT and double OT. Um, they held off Dame. So, yeah, like you said, they're not going to roll over. But I have Phoenix in six. I think with Chris Paul dictating the pace like he does, uh, if he gets those guys involved, you know, like I like the three through five much better for the Suns than I do for the Trailblazers. Uh, I think those guys can, you know, definitely produce and, and help, you know, kind of lift uh, Phoenix and some close wins over Denver. Uh, we've talked about the backcourt a lot. The backcourt doesn't have enough for Denver right now, not with Jamal Murray being out. So uh, advantage Suns. And with the way Chris Paul and Devin Booker are playing right now, um, they, I mean, obviously it's an emotional series with them beating the Lakers, but they had it pretty easy the last two games. And, you know, Denver is coming off a very emotional series that was back and forth also in six, but that series looked a lot different because those games were much closer uh, than those between the Lakers and Suns. So I think, uh, you know, Denver obviously having to travel right now too. I like Phoenix in this spot a lot for game one. Phoenix minus five, and again, I have them winning in six. Uh, where do you stand on the Clippers and Jazz? I think this is another interesting series as well. Obviously, the Clippers are coming off that seven-game series that we just talked about in the beginning against the Mavericks. Yeah, um, them having to travel to Utah um, for, for, for the first game of this series, coming off a short rest. Um, Utah's been rested for a little bit. I um, – I could see Utah winning this game, um, winning game one, just because, uh, you know, Clippers having a long series against Luka and the Mavericks. That game seven, yeah, they, they pulled away, but that's still draining on you a little bit. Um, and Utah, I, I I really like Utah, too. I To be honest with you, I think I'm going to take Utah in this series. I think I'm going to take Utah in this series over the Clippers, Um I, I kind of want to see the Clippers to lose personally just because the Lakers lost. Um, I, don't, I don't want you and your picks to win. So um, I like Utah in this series. It's probably probably not going to happen. Clippers are probably going to win, but I'm definitely going to be rooting for Utah. Yeah, I'm on Clippers. My preseason prediction is still alive. Clippers versus Nets in the finals. Literally in that episode that I picked the Clippers, y'all all took the Lakers, and I literally just said, Hey, injuries happen. I've seen weird shit. Things happen. And injuries did happen to the Lakers. And now the Clippers are obviously in a prime spot to get to the finals like we've thought for the last couple of years. Uh, But this is not going to be an easy series. I think the Clippers are going to go the distance yet again, and they're going to win in seven. Um, So I got Phoenix in six, and I got the Clippers in seven. I think Utah's obviously with them. Like you said, I I give the edge in game one to the Jazz. Short rest for the Clippers, long draining series. Utah's at home. Utah can shoot the lights out. They remind me a lot of the Rockets from a couple years ago. They shoot a ton of threes, and they hit a lot of threes. But they're also going to die by the three at some point, and that might happen when they transition to L.A. I think Utah is going to be riding a high. They might split in Utah 1-1. The Jazz are going to run the points, but ultimately I think down the stretch in this series, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, too much defense, too much stardom. I think they're going to get their shots. Uh, they're going to slow the pace down and really control it. Um, a lot of high-scoring games between the Clippers and Mavericks, but 
uh, the Clippers have got to really crunch down on defense and start to slow some of these games down because they can score in transition and in the half court, but not a lot of these teams can score in the half court like they can. So uh, they need to dictate the pace. And if they do that, then I got them in seven. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, I'll, I'll not be surprised if if the Clippers win this series. I'm, I guess you can just call me a hater right now. <laughs> um, like I said, if I had to put my money on it and if I was betting on it, I would probably take the Clippers, but I'll be rooting for the Jazz. It'll definitely be interesting to see with the Lakers being out. It's kind of almost like the same situation last year. I know the Clippers are losing the first round, but um, to see if the Clippers can take take over this this Western Conference playoffs and be able to come out of the West. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, going on in the next game that we have tomorrow night as well, we got Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, game two, I know we talked about it earlier, but I, I kind of want to get your prediction on this. And who, who do you have winning that game two in that series? Uh, so in this last game in game one, this game was over after the first quarter, mainly because, like I said, Philly was trying to fight back, fight back, fight back. For the entire second half, it was between 15 and 20 points. They'd get it down to 12, and then it would balloon back up to 2022, and they couldn't close the gap. They did do so in the last couple minutes and made it look a lot better, which gives me hope that they will play the whole game and play a little bit better going into game two. Losing by four, you know, you don't feel great knowing you lost the game, but you feel a little bit better knowing you got back into it. So I think that gives them confidence going into game two. I think they control the pace in the first quarter. Uh, you know, they don't get down to a 15-point deficit. I think it was 42-27 in this last game in the first quarter. Uh, I think, you know, if they can tighten that up and not let Trey Young get off to a very hot start, then the Sixers are in this game, uh, and they'll probably cover the number in doing so. So I like the Sixers to even this series up 1-1 at home before they head to Atlanta. Yeah, I, uh, I like the Sixers, too. I kind of hope the Hawks win, though. But um, again, if I were if I were a betting man and I was putting some money on this, I would I would definitely take 76ers. Um, I think I think they're I don't think they're going to be able to cover minus five, but I think they'll definitely win this game to even it up um, and to get things a little bit more interesting in this series. Because, like I said, if they go down 2-0, going back to Atlanta, that's going to be really tough. So this is a very big game um, in this series. So. Um, and, and let's kind of just wrap up these playoffs right here, Zane. So right now, so I just kind of want to say who I have coming out and advancing out of this round. I have Utah and I have Phoenix and then I have Atlanta and I have Brooklyn. Yeah, I have, I have Clippers and Suns facing off in the Western Conference Finals. And then in the Eastern Conference Finals, I have Philly bouncing back in this series and winning. And I have Brooklyn winning against Milwaukee in seven. Uh, so eight teams left. The Sixers, Bucks, Hawks, Clippers, Nets, Jazz, Suns, and Nuggets. Five of those teams, we made a post today on our Instagram and in our Facebook group. Five of those teams have never won a championship, being the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Suns, and Jazz. So all the teams represented in the Western Conference. And then the Nets have also never won. They won two ABA championships before the before the merger into the NBA. But that, of course, does not count. And the Sixers, Bucks, and Hawks, respectively, have not won since 83, 71, and 58. So one of these teams is going to end a very long drought and or get their first ever franchise championship. So it should be interesting 
uh, as I mentioned in the post, it's as wide open as ever because, you know, it's pretty funny, but this is the first time since 2010, as everybody knows by now, that Steph and LeBron are neither one of them are in the finals. So uh, pretty wide open and should be interesting down the stretch. All right, Josh, let's move over to the NFL. The buzz was building up before the draft. The buzz continued after the draft. And then a couple weeks ago on our last episode, we talked about the trade rumors surrounding Julio Jones. We talked about some of the teams we'd like to see him go to or where he could land. But he's now a Tennessee Titan, and he joins a pretty formidable squad with Ryan Tannehill at the helm, along with Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. I think Julio and A.J. Brown are going to make a phenomenal duo. The Titans are sending a second-round pick, and they're, they're swapping a fourth and six with the Falcons for next year in order to acquire Julio. Uh, RIP to Texan fans. I'm not including myself in that one anymore. And then also just a friendly reminder that Muhammad Sanu, that was a former Falcon, was also traded for a second-round pick. He doesn't have the same contract that Julio has. I understand that. But look, man, Tennessee is getting one of the best wide receivers in the NFL over the last decade. I assume you're on the same page. This is absolutely for the Tennessee Titans and their current roster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Julio, for for that little of draft capital, I mean, I thought that was like a trade that went through on our Dynasty Football League when I kind of saw it. I mean, the <laughs> fact that Julio – I mean, it, it's crazy. This is the second time. Like, D-Hop for that, Julio for that. Like, if that's the case, why aren't these guys moving a lot more? I mean, if I'm a GM, God, Ryan Pace, we, we could have gave up more than that, you know? I mean, I would have gave up a first round. I would have gave up next year's first round pick for Julio Jones. Absolutely. Me too. And Josh, you saw that this was the best offer, right? That's exactly. What sources said. Exactly. That's oh, what he's 32 years old. We can't do that. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I would have absolutely, definitely. Went and got Julio if I was Ryan Pace or any other GM for a first-round pick. Definitely. I would have definitely gave a first-round pick for him. Um, but we said that. We spoke about that on the other episode. So, hats off to Tennessee. Um, yeah, the Texans and the Jags, good luck. I mean, I already, See ya. I already had the Colts and Tennessee as the favorites in that division. But now I probably have to put Tennessee over Indianapolis. Um, I'm surprised that Indy didn't offer a little bit more to go get a guy like Julio. Agreed. You know, but, hey, Tennessee, I mean, I know Julio wanted to go somewhere and win. A.J. Brown, <laughs> what a great recruiting job he did landing Julio there. That's going to be one of the top, you know, wide receiver duos in the NFL now. Um, and then, you know, of course, Derek Henry, you know, King King Henry uh, with him rushing for back-to-back 2,000 yards. I mean, this dude is ridiculous. That offense is going to be scary and then being able to have a mobile quarterback like Ryan Tannehill who's very effective who um you know is very efficient takes care of the football that's going to be a tough offense if their defense can pick it up watch out they may be a contender in that AFC now in my opinion I have them probably right with Buffalo now so you got Buffalo you got Tennessee you got Kansas City um so Josh our Buffalo sorry to interrupt you our Buffalo and Tennessee the biggest threats to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Yes, 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 in my opinion, in my opinion. I mean, this is only June 7th, so a lot has to happen before the season, so we've got a couple more months. But in my opinion, yes. 
Um, Buffalo and Tennessee are probably right there at, at, at tier two. They're top at tier two because, in my opinion, the AFC, until somebody knocks off Kansas City and, and they don't allow Kansas City to go to the play or go to the Super Bowl again, they're the only team in the AFC that's tier one right now. So, tier two, I would say Tennessee. I would say um, Buffalo. I'm going to say Cleveland. And I'm going to say Baltimore. Those are all top of tier two for me. But uh, Tennessee and Buffalo having the edge over Cleveland and, and uh, Baltimore at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. I was watching first take this morning, drinking my coffee, chilling. And Max Kellerman said that the biggest threat to the Chiefs are the Cleveland Browns. But I do not agree with that. I still have the Bills and Titans over them, just like you do. Um, I still have the Bills as the biggest threat. I th- I think the Bills need to add another weapon on offense. I think get Diggs and Allen some more help. Um, they got a lot of good young guys, but um, I just like their defense a whole lot more than I do Tennessee. If Tennessee can straighten up the secondary, then they'll be in good shape. But there were, were way too many games last year, um, notably against Houston twice where Deshaun went off, but that is Deshaun Watson. But also Cleveland absolutely shredded them too. Those were a couple games that come just, you know, top of mind. Um, and their secondary just got absolutely shredded, like just ran off the field, looked like they shouldn't even be there. And if you're going to make a run to the AFC Championship and a deep run in the, the playoffs in the AFC, you've got to tighten that up because we obviously know Kansas City's the gold standard and that offense is extremely high-powered, revamped offensive line. It's, it's going to be very tough to stop that team. So uh, I still give the edge to, to the bills as like, I agree bills Titans right there muddled in that top you know, that second tier. Uh, but I would put the bills just like a hair or two over the Titans because of that reason. But again, this was an absolute no brainer. You go get a guy like Julio Jones in, in today's game, you've got to continue to add weapons, add weapons, add weapons, because if you don't do what, you know, Tampa Bay did, I mean, Tampa Bay obviously has a good defense, but if you don't do what they did to try and outscore the Chiefs, like you're you're just falling behind. So I thought this was a great move, and I expect the Titans. You know, obviously they'll probably be in the divisional round again, but let's see at the end of the year if this moves them into the AFC Championship. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see. You know, they still got to play. They still got to build that chemistry. You know, um, so you know. This isn't like basketball to where it's like, oh, you just come in and it's a flow and it's a game. Now you got to learn that playbook. You got to get familiar with Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, so it, there's going to be a lot of factors that come into play. I probably have to agree with you that Buffalo is just a tad bit um, ahead of Tennessee on that, but I, I don't see Tennessee being too far behind. The only thing is, is I have a lot more faith in that Buffalo defense than I do in Tennessee's defense. Right. Um, so it'll it, it'll be see a lot of new. Some, some new pieces over there in Tennessee, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be able to work it out. But, again, hats off to them. They got to steal. Atlanta, if you look at Atlanta, it's like, okay, what are you really doing here? You know, you drafted Kyle Pitts. You trade away Julio Jones, who, in my opinion, is, you know, by far the, the best offensive player um, other than Mike Vick that the Atlanta Falcons have ever had. Um, so, then you go draft Kyle Pitts, highest drafted tight end of, of all time. Um you had an opportunity to draft Justin Fields, um, but you didn't. So, obviously, you're keeping Matt Ryan. You got Calvin Ridley. Um, Todd Gurley's a free agent. Uh, I, I don't see him coming back. Um, I think I think he's definitely out of the equation now. 
So it's really like, where is Atlanta standing right now? Because they still, in my opinion, are a little too talented to be tanking. You know, they, they lost a lot of close games last year, but it's like, where's their future lining up right now? And, and for me, that's a little tough to tell. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what Kyle Pitts can bring to that offense. Um, they still have a pretty average, above-average defense. Um, it's not like their defense is just terrible. Their secondary has some some growing pains, you know. But um, them, they need some depth at the corner position. But it's just going to be tough to see what Atlanta does here in the future without Julio having that 11 on in black and red and coming out um, in that Mercedes-Benz Dome. It's, it's going to definitely be very interesting to see. The Falcons are very, very close. They're much closer to imploding the roster than they are making it to a championship. They remind me a lot of the Memphis Grizzlies 10 years ago with Mike Conley, Zebo, and Marcus Hall. Like, they were always there, like, you know, flirted with the playoffs, like always on the edge, but they were always just an average team stuck in the middle. And, you know, that's really what Atlanta's been since they blew the Super Bowl lead. They had their one shot, but I think they're much closer to like what Memphis did, which I know this is a very odd comparison, but it just reminds me of it. The Grizzlies at that time were closer to imploding in which they did and everybody was gone. I think that's where the Falcons' next phase is. I think they're going to implode the roster. I mean, I think Matt Ryan only maybe two years more max. Like that's the window. I don't, I don't know really what they're trying to do either. Their their defense, Lord, has been so up and down over the last several years. Um, you, like you said, you trade one of your your best players in franchise history. Like, what is the next move? I don't see championship and in the near future whatsoever. So I think they go to zero before they get up to a hundred anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I just, I don't know. We've seen it. Texans, they trade away their franchise receiver, start going to turmoil. Atlanta, they've been dealing with turmoil. Now they finally trade their franchise receiver. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I just, me, if you knew that you were going to get rid of Julio, okay, I see why you go get a guy like Kyle Pitts, but like how you just said, we don't see Matt Ryan playing for what, maybe two to three more years, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, at least in know. Atlanta, he might play longer, but I think that's his window for sure in Atlanta, regardless if he faces retirement moving on. Right, right, yeah. So, interesting to see. Um, but just to kind of wrap it up. Tennessee definitely wins this trade. Um, happy for them, and uh, I'm just glad Julio didn't go to the NFC. So the fact that he stayed in the AFC, I can live with. And um, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what they can accomplish in that AFC. And hopefully somebody can knock out Kansas City and not allow them to go back to the Super Bowl this year. All right, Josh, for the first time on this podcast, let's move over to boxing. Last night we had an exhibition bout between Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. Um, Regardless of what people say, eyes were definitely on this spot. Uh, but how do you think this impacts boxing? Do you think it's a, a good thing, a bad thing? Do you have a neutral feeling? How do you feel about this fight last night? Um, I did not think that this fight was good for boxing. I think it was great for entertainment. I mean, I was glued to my TV. Just just, just the the hype of it, everything that was going on. Um, I've been getting tired of these Paul brothers. I want a Floyd to knock Logan out. I think a lot of people wanted that. So um, hats off to to to. Floyd, to Logan, to Jake, they bamboozled us. They hustled us for our money. 
Um, I didn't pay for pay per view. <laughs> so oh, um, illegal I, streams all the way. Yeah, I can't I can't complain too much, but I I almost felt like I should have been paid to watch that fight, <laughs> based off how much money everybody was making. So, um, but you know, Floyd, you gotta you, you gotta really give it to Floyd. Floyd being this savvy to say, okay, cool, y'all want me to fight this guy who's never boxed before, and I can make you know upwards 75 80 million off of it absolutely um so you know i don't i don't think this is good for boxing just because you're going to start seeing a little bit more of these celebrity fights and you know and 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 they see the amount of money that it brings and so it's really going to hurt the professional boxers that aren't as big as pacquiao or canelo or floyd you know these guys that are up and coming some of the other guys that were on the that were on the main cards last night i mean I really only watched two fights last night. I watched the Chad Ochocinco fight, and then I watched the Floyd Mayweather Logan Paul fight. So um, I, I just I don't see it being good. It kind of reminds me of like what if the big three, you know, they started making millions and millions and millions. It's gonna kind of hurt the NBA a little bit, you know. Even though it's not gonna be as big as boxing, it's just any sport. Whenever you give that much praise to a amateur or a semi-pro level of it um i I think it hurts the actual true sport of it so um but hey it was entertaining you know i personally think that floyd knocked him out and then kind of held him i don't know if you saw that zane um there was a video that showed that floyd just kind of hit logan with the right hook and um logan just kind of fell on floyd dead weight and floyd was just holding him up so that's going to be pretty interesting to see what people say about that but um, all in all, you got to also give, you know, hats off to Logan. The fact that he even was able to fight Floyd in a ring for eight rounds, regardless of how much he was hugging him or not. The fact that he was able to go the distance, that's pretty impressive. Um, so all in all, it was a very entertaining night. But again, I do not think that that was good for boxing. Yeah, I mean, they sold pay-per-view. They had eyes on it. It, it does take away from what we know as boxing. It's changed a little bit because now whoever wants to get in a ring can suddenly do it, regardless of you know what sport or profession you're in. So um, I think it's interesting. But, I mean, amazing tactic by Logan Paul. Logan Paul, he had, he had nothing to lose except potentially getting knocked out and sent to the hospital. But to your point, I don't think Floyd really wanted to hurt him either. I, it's an exhibition. There's no winner or loser unless you knock someone out. But why not just grab the money? And obviously Floyd won. I mean, he dominated. He connected a lot. I mean, I think he could have threw some more punches than he did because Logan Paul was gassed after two or three rounds and had his hands down most of the fight. Um, and Logan Paul's tactic was anytime he swings, get in tight, clinch and just hold on to him for dear life and basically burn as much time as you can and get through eight rounds. And he did that. And he had nothing to lose because he's in the ring with one of the best boxers of all time. He made a shit ton of money doing so. And he got to promote his own brand like Jake's doing as well. I don't think Logan's taking boxing as serious as Jake, but the fact that he got in the ring and did this, I mean, (laughs) these guys are a little annoying, a little irritating. People want to see him get knocked out, but wow, they are phenomenal at business. They know what the hell they're doing. And I didn't even really care too much about the fight. I didn't, I just thought, you know, wow, like what if someone gets knocked out? But, you know, knowing it was an exhibition and a couple of days before, you know, the rules came out, no judges, you know, no scoring, knockout or bust essentially, I, I didn't really care. I, I knew what was coming similar to the Mike Tyson fight. It was more entertaining than that, but it was a lot of running around and a lot of clinching. 
Um, but the highlight of the night for me was absolutely Logan Paul coming out with a BGS 10 Charizard around his neck. Um, I've been in the card hobby now as far as sport cards and Pokemon for about four months. Uh, I think it was the beginning of February. Uh, I went through my old collection and I was on NBA Top Shot dealing with NFTs and stuff. And it really, I thought it was going to be one or the other. And originally, my original thought was, okay, NBA Top Shot's here. NFTs are here. This is going to push cards aside. But what it really did was push me back to cards. And so I got into the hobby um, really heavily. I've invested a lot of money up to this point in, as far as my household and my terms. And, uh, you know, if you know anything about grading, you know, PSA is king. Okay. So PSA 10 is, you know, it's the best, it's the highest quality typically. And a BGS nine and a half is similar standards to a PSA 10, but PSA 10 is your bang for your buck. That's where you make your money. Uh, but what Logan Paul came out with was a BGS 10 and BGS 10s are not given out very often, which makes them extremely valuable. I've seen people talk about uh, the price tag on this card. Um, the card hobby has absolutely blown up over the last two to three years. And Logan Paul, I think a year or two ago, um, he pulled the Charizard out of a pack and got it graded and it came back a BGS 10. And I think, or no, I think he actually acquired the card for 150,000. And then he said that was kind of how it started the, the trajectory of his life and things started to change a little bit. So he got that card for 150 grand. And now he's claiming it's worth a mil. I've seen people go back and forth on the value. Um, if you know anything, again, about Charizard first edition, that is Charizard first edition card is a holy grail. The PSA 10 you can find on completed sales online on eBay. And that card has consistently gone for between three hundred dollars and $400,000. But like I said in the beginning, a BGS 10 is more valuable um, because they're harder to get. And the BGS 10 first edition Charizard, Currently that I know of, and like Logan Paul said, there's only three of them in the world and he has one of them. And the fact that he wore it around his neck out to fight Floyd Mayweather is really good for the sports card hobby. And it's actually really good for that card as well. I think that's going to drive the value of it because, you know, people are going to want it even more. So with him saying it's a million dollar card, he's probably right because right now it's probably valued between 600 and 750K. But if he can drive that value up, and he claims that it's a million, then it really may become a million-dollar card. Uh, that's not out of the realm of possibilities. But again, I don't know everything about cards. Uh, I don't know everything about grading. But what I do know is it's harder to get a BGS 10 than it is a PSA 10, and that makes that card hella valuable. So that was really cool with me being in the hobby uh, for the last four or five months to be able to see something like that and kind of understand what was going on uh, in our culture and in that moment. Yeah, I don't know anything about cards other than the Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards that I just had when I was little, and I gave those to my little brother. Um, so, used to love playing cards, but nothing in regards to knowledge of value, so that was pretty interesting to hear you go on a spill on that. But I saw the card, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a Charizard. Like, I knew that. I was like, that thing has to be worth at least like a quarter mil. So, um, that was pretty cool. Definitely uh, all us 90s babies, you know, probably jumped out of our seat like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Like, oh, you see what he's wearing? Like, oh, <laughs> the pointing, you know? the pointing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, he's wearing a Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was pretty cool. Um, but I don't really know anything about grading. So that was pretty awesome. Pretty cool to hear you go in a spill on that. Um, you know, hey, if you guys, are, if that's something you guys are interested in, you know, let us know your thoughts on that. But yeah, definitely, like I said, 
it was a really cool night, really cool event. Um, seeing a lot of stars over there. Did you see Dave Portnoy and and, uh, and Brooks Kepka? You know their little interaction that they had. You know because they have their little uh, charity matchups coming up. Yeah, I know they have some stuff going on, but I didn't see what happened. Yeah, they kind of interacted, so that was pretty funny to watch. One thing I kind of want to talk about, and I want to just kind of ask your opinion. Just, you know, we'll talk about golf. We haven't talked about golf since Phil won the PGA. Um, shout out Patrick Hanley, also winning the uh, Memorial Tournament this past week in Jack's home. That was just um, redone. But um, quick question for you. What are your thoughts? Have you seen about a bunch of patrons that have been going to the tournaments now um, and calling – um, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks, because <laughs> of all the drama with Brooks Kepka and, 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 and Bryson's been instructing police officers to follow him around the tournament now. And if somebody calls him Brooksy, he like points at him, him and his caddy doing the police officer goes and like arrest him and kicks him out of the tournament, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, we all have freedom of speech here. This is America. That's bullshit. You can say whatever you want to say. It's not like they're talking to him while he's hitting or while he's swinging. Like they were talking to him after he hit a tee shot and he's walking. You know, so it's like, I mean, this is freedom of speech. You're at a golf tournament. It's the same thing. People used to say, oh, you suck, this and that. Like, you know, like, what are we coming to, to where you're getting that butt hurt and because somebody's calling you Brooksy, you know? I mean, I, I just think that's ridiculous. And then Brooks being the G that he is comes out with a sponsor Michelob Ultra um, little, you know, I guess you could say video slash commercial that he did on Instagram. He's like, hey, guys, you know, Brooksy here. Um, sorry that I wasn't able to play in the Memorial Tournament, you know, because he really only plays majors. Um, but he's like, you know, I didn't play the Memorial Tournament, but I've I've heard a lot of you guys out there saying my name supporting you. But I've heard that some of you guys' experience got cut short for whatever reason. You know, and he's like, just uh, if that was one of you, let me know. And we're going to hand out um, 50 free cases of beers to guys that did get kicked out of the tournament. Partnered up with Michelob Ultra. It's like, dude, this dude's just a G, the way he handled that. Um, I think he has so much headspace in Bryson's head right now that it's crazy, that it's ridiculous. And it's also pretty cool to see these golfers start to interact with each other a little bit more on social media. Because I know, I don't know if you saw, but PJ did come out and say that they're going to now be giving out like a $40 million award to whatever PGA golfer you know, wins that like social media award. I, I guess they're just trying to drive up the social media presence of golf and getting more exposure and it being more of an entertaining sport. So this has been perfect. So I kind of want to know what your what your input on this whole situation, because I love it. I love the fact that Bryson is pissed off and he's throwing guys out because that knows we know that that's bugging him. And I love what Brooks is doing. I haven't I haven't followed every single detail and interaction but I have seen most of it. And what I'll say is this, a couple things. I like that you hit on social media because we are in a digital age where know your shit. If you're going to put it out there, people know. And, you know, Bryson and Brooks have publicly had, you know, some beef and things going on between them. Of course, you know, with the communities we have, like with Barstool and, you know, just the Twitter community, like, of course people are going to add fuel to that fire. Why would they not? So there's that part of it where I agree with you. If people on the internet that, you know, Bryson gets pissed off about the Brooksy thing and then they come out there and they're saying it, so what, dude? Get the fuck over it. You're not going to have them put it out of the event because they're calling you Brooksy. Like, my God, dude, he is so rent-free in your head if you're getting that pissed off about it. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is 
golf is a one man show. Like this is a one man entertainment. Like we need that external juice to help the entertainment value of golf. Like I love watching golf. I know you love watching golf, uh, but there's a lot of people that don't because they don't understand the game entirely or they would rather just play and not watch or they think it's boring. So I think this is amazing for the entertainment value of golf. And I think there does need to be those conversations between fans and golfers. Like I think about the time where Tiger range and one of the fans says, you know, how about the guy that, you know, bet on win to the masters, you know, and he's like, great fucking bet. You know what I mean? Like no filter, like that should be how the interactions are. And like, unless you're a guy like tiger Phil over the last so many years, like not everybody has that entertainment value in that following. So to get entertainment value out of this in a sport where, you know, golfers have like some beef with each other and they talk shit when they're out there playing each other, but not so much public like other big sports like you see it all the time because players go against each other in the nba you see it between receivers and corners in the nfl like but you don't always get that inside look of what they're saying to each other when they're in the fairway and on the greens so the fact that all of this is kind of like public i think it's really a good thing for the entertainment value of golf because people that haven't been paying attention and that are like waiting to the masters or the fucking players or whatever to to watch they're like oh okay i'm a little interested now like I don't care what tournament it is. If Brooks and Bryson are grouped together, like I'm going to watch that. And that's a good thing for the value. So I think Bryson needs to get over it. I think he's being a little bitch about it. Yeah. I just, I really hope the PGA just kind of stirs it up as well. And I really hope that they pair Bryson and Brooks together. Like at the next major or something, I don't care what round it is, but we need to see at least one round of Bryson and Brooks being paired up together. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? It would be outstanding. Could you imagine? Especially if it was like, oh, like a Sunday and they were both in contention and like they were one of the final pairings. Oh, man. That would be incredible. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I love it. Um, I think Bryson's being a pussy, honestly, um, about it. And he's he's just allowing Brooks to win in. And Brooks is, you know, because in all honesty, until Bryson – does what Brooks has done. He can't say anything. Yeah, you hit the ball far. Yeah, you do this. Yeah, you do that. Cool. You only have one major, dude. <laughs> you only got one major. What else are you going to do about it? So he hasn't been playing well. Bryson has lately. Brooks hasn't even been 100%. He's been playing better than Bryson. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So just kind of wanted to touch basis on that before we wrapped up today's show. So let us know your thoughts on that, guys. Um, as always, don't forget. We do have a Facebook group that we talk about a lot of sports discussions, some hot topics about Brooks and Bryson and trades and everything like that. Um, that is needed. Um, sports discussions, private Facebook group. Definitely join. Um, continue to follow us on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter as well, at Needed Sports. Um, and stay tuned to some other segment topics that me and Zane are kind of brainstorming and uh, maybe bringing out maybe some business, maybe some politics, uh, maybe some other things other than just sports, maybe some gaming, maybe some, you know, cards that Zane was talking about. So let us know your thoughts. We always want to hear feedback and we appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode.